Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community. Good morning again, and um, it's good to be with you today. Happy third Sunday of Advent. Um, Thanks, Marcus and Beth, for reading in English and in Swiss German. Um, We've already worshipped God in three languages today, English, Swiss, German, and ASL. How cool is that? Um, Today, I want to start by taking some time to look at a picture. I'm wondering if you could help me out with this as we take a look at this picture. It's a picture, as you see, of two oxen. This is a Nova Scotian oxen. They're in Canada. You can see the Canadian flag there in the background. Um, They're wearing a yoke, as you can see. It's actually a German head yoke, and it's a very decorative German head yoke. Let me give you a couple facts about oxen. Oxen are male cattle. They have long horns, as you can see. They weigh 1,500 to 3,000 pounds, and they're trained, of course, to carry heavy loads. So they can pull the equivalent of their body weight at a walking pace, and they can pull up to four times their body weight for short periods of time which means that a single full-grown ox can pull up to 12,000 pounds for a short period of time or a short distance. So if you were the person who took this picture and you were standing there like you could almost touch them, I wonder what that would feel like. I want to invite you to, um, to help me out here and to think of words that describe the characteristics of these two animals. So I'm looking for one-word answers here. Anyone want to shout out a one-word answer, a one-word uh, descriptor, an adjective, something that describes what these animals would be like if you're standing right in front of them. Strong. Large. Imposing. Good. Sturdy. Intimidating. Gentle. Any others? Unified. Well, these are excellent ways of describing these oxen, and I would like to um, to come back to one of these ways that was described, one of the words, and that was the word gentle, because what I want to propose to you today is that this is a picture of gentleness. So I want you to hold on to this picture. Uh, we're going to come back to it. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about how this is a picture not just of brute strength and power, but also of gentleness. So I want to title today's sermon, Let Your Gentleness Be Known to All. And our text for today's sermon is um, from the lectionary, today's lectionary reading. It's from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Paul is in prison. He's writing to the church at Philippi. And at the end of his letter, he writes this, Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be made known to all. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, just a few verses before this passage, Paul 
has addressed a conflict in the church at Philippi is a conflict between two women named Euodia and Syntyche. And he says this about them. He says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, this is the one he's writing to, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. So who are these two women, Euodia and Syntyche? They're early church leaders. They've served alongside Paul in a leadership capacity. Together with Paul and a man named Clement and a few others, uh, in Paul's own words, they have contended in the cause of the gospel. They've given themselves to the work of sharing the good news of the kingdom of God. And Paul actually calls them his co-workers. What an honor. These women are colleagues of Paul. Well, what was their conflict about? We actually have no idea. We're not told, but it was big enough and intense enough that word got all the way to Paul in prison about this conflict. So it may have had the possibility of becoming divisive for the church at Philippi. And the question would have been, were these two women going to each cling to their side of the argument over and above the unity of the church? Or were they willing to be reconciled, to choose to come together on the common ground of their love for Christ, even if that meant not getting their individual ways in the matter. I wonder if anyone here can relate. I think in so many ways, uh, this speaks to the church at large today, where we have the choice of being reconciled on common ground, the common ground of our love for Christ, or dividing over matters that may feel important in the moment. Maybe some of them are important, but they're not necessarily worth dividing over. And so Paul makes a plea. He makes a plea to the church at Philippi. He makes a plea to us. He says, let your gentleness be known to all. Let your gentleness be known to all. This is such a beautiful and really such a simple request, isn't it? And maybe that's why when I open scripture and I'm reading the book of Philippians, it's really easy to pass over that one verse and to read it quickly and move on because it seems so straightforward, so simple. It's like, I get it. Okay, what next? But what if it seems so simple and so straightforward because we think of gentleness as just simply being nice? I mean, it's pretty much the casual modern definition of gentleness, right? Like being nice, like not hurting anyone. But what if the Bible's understanding of gentleness is different? What if the gentleness that we're called to as followers of Christ is more than simply being nice? Today, we're going to look at three pictures of gentleness, because I think it's going to be helpful not just to talk about gentleness, but to see it. But first, I think uh, it will be helpful if we could define gentleness. So let me give you the Merriam-Webster definition of gentleness. Here it is, docile, soft, free from harshness, sternness, or violence. Notice how passive this definition is. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of it is about not doing something, right? Not being or not doing something, not being harsh, not being stern, not being violent, essentially not being harmful. To be gentle as our society defines it is pretty much a passive endeavor. But I believe that the biblical understanding of gentleness is not passive, that it's deeply active, Um, that gentleness is not weakness. It's a strength. 
that gentleness is willing to surrender personal rights. It is something that refuses to litigate. It it bravely trusts that God will provide for all needs. It, It holds the conviction that God will defend one's cause ultimately. It doesn't demand its own way because it doesn't need to demand its own way. So I want to propose a, a, a definition of gentleness, my, my own definition, but I think that it attempts to capture the, the biblical uh, concept of gentleness, and here it is. A withholding of force in the direction of good for the sake of love. Let me say that again. A withholding of force in the direction of good for the sake of love. Another way you could say that is a loving restraint of force that is actually more powerful than force itself. So let's take a a, a look at a couple images. Um, The first image here that I have is, as you see, we have a flower and a bee. What I really want us to focus on, however, is, is what's behind the flower and the bee, the sun. And of course, the sun is the star, the center of our solar system, right? And and on it, all life on earth depends, right? Our lives depend on the light and the heat of the sun and all that grows because of the sun and that we eat, right, because of the sun. But the sun is extremely dangerous. According to NASA, the core of the sun is 27 million degrees. (laughs) I have just no concept for that. Uh, it's a good thing the sun is not very close (laughs) because we couldn't handle being anywhere near that kind of heat, right? So it happens that we're actually 93 million miles away from the sun, approximately, away from this mega-hot furnace of flaming gases, and that gives us the distance we need to not be scorched. That's pretty important. Now, the sun is also dangerous because it produces uh, radiation that's toxic to human life, including ultraviolet light. But we happen to have a shield that protects us from those rays. It's called the atmosphere. So there are three forms of ultraviolet light. Ultraviolet light A, ultraviolet light B, and ultraviolet light C. And our atmosphere lets in some of the least dangerous forms of those uh, rays, the ultraviolet light A. But it absorbs 95% of ultraviolet light B, which you know is what gives you a tan but could also be carcinogenic. And essentially, it shields all of ultraviolet light C, which is the most dangerous of the ultraviolet light. Isn't that incredible? So why are we talking about the sun? Why are we talking about its distance from the earth, its radiation, how that radiation is absorbed by our atmosphere? Well, to me, this is a metaphor for gentleness. This wildly dangerous heat and radiation of the sun has been restrained by distance, by our Earth's atmosphere, to be precisely what it needs for life on Earth to thrive. And so something as delicate as this flower and this bee, which is uh, pollinating this flower, has a place in the universe where it can flourish. And we have a place in the universe where we can flourish, where we, we, can, where we can live. I want to look at another uh, picture here of, of gentleness, a very different picture. This is a painting uh, by the Korean artist Yong Sung Kim. It's called Forgiven. So we read in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, that one day, while Jesus was teaching in the temple, a woman caught in the act of adultery was brought to Jesus by some Pharisees. 
And the Pharisees forced this woman in front of a crowd, the crowd that Jesus was teaching. And they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? You see, they were trying to trap him. Well, Jesus did not answer them. Instead, he stooped down and he wrote something in the sand with his finger. The Pharisees kept demanding an answer. So Jesus stood up and he said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then what does he do? He stoops down again and he writes in the dust. And in that silence, one by one, the accusers of the woman leave till in fact all of them are gone and only Jesus and the woman, the woman are left in front of the crowd. And Jesus stands up and he says to her, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. Then neither do I, he said. Go and sin no more. I want us to stay with this story, with this image, just for a few moments. And I want to ask you, and I do invite you to help me out with this. Where do you see gentleness in what Jesus is doing or in what he's not doing? Where do you see the gentleness in this story? Any thoughts? The silence? His posture. What about, what about the posture? You don't have to, whoever said that, I'm not putting you in the spot, but I, I, I wonder what about the posture? Something to think about. Or what about the silence? Ah, unthreatening. Yeah, he's down at her level. Other thoughts, other noticings of gentleness. And what he's doing or what he's not doing. Space. Yeah, create some space. He's not strongly manipulating the situation here. He's getting dirty. He's actually on the ground. It's very humble, isn't it? Do you see Jesus' loving restraint of force here? He doesn't accuse the woman. He doesn't join these men who have stones in their hands. Very clearly, right? But there's something else I want us to notice. Do you see that he also doesn't actually accuse the Pharisees? He creates the silence that was mentioned. And in that silence, their lack of love, their lust for legalism is on full display in all its ugliness. He doesn't have to accuse them. Their own ugly motives accuse them. There's something also that I want us not to miss. So remember Jesus after he stood up and he said, whoever is without sin, throw the first stone. He went back down and stooped to the ground and started writing in the sand. And that's when they, um, one by one, left. He could have stared them down. He could have watched them. 
one by one as they swallowed their words, as they turned away in defeat, as they owned their sin, as they experienced what could have felt like a a humiliation. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't stare them down. He, He stoops and he looks on the ground and he's letting them go with a kind of dignity, a dignity of privacy as they drop their stones. Because he's not actually condemning the Pharisees, is he? He wants this moment to be redemptive for everyone, for the woman, for the crowd that's watching, and even for the Pharisees themselves. He's making room for their redemption too. It's not that he's not holding them, right, to account, but he's creating in his gentleness a space for their redemption instead of condemning them. Talk about gentleness. You see, Jesus is a picture of gentleness. We can define gentleness with a set of words, or we can look to the word of God himself and see gentleness. And you know, today's the third Sunday of Advent, and Advent is really an invitation for us to see God's breathtaking gentleness. Because during Advent, we remember that the creator and ruler of the universe who holds all things in his hands comes to his creation, not as a Zeus figure with thunderbolts on the clouds, right? Not as a warrior king, but as an infant to a peasant family in a backwater of Israel. God embraces limitation. The ruler of the universe restrains his force to to the point of becoming an all-vulnerable newborn. And of course, this is not weakness, is it? This is an act of strength more powerful than force itself. And he did it for the sake of love. He did it to be close to us. Friends, God's gentleness is our salvation. Amen. And we see it no more clearly than when a few decades later, when the time came for Jesus to show the full extent of his love, he stood before Pontius Pilate and like a lamb led to the slaughter, was silent and in gentleness He restrained his force for the sake of love. He surrendered his rights. He refused to litigate. He trusted that ultimately God would provide for all of his needs, that God in the end would defend his cause. He didn't demand his own way because he didn't have to demand his own way. He allowed himself to be nailed to a Roman cross for the salvation of the world. This is our gentle God. So Paul says, let your gentleness be made known to all. What might it look like for us to be ambassadors of a gentle God through gentleness? You know, it's interesting to me that the scripture does not say, let your achievements be made known to all. Let your skills be made known to all. Let your good works be made known to all. Let your spiritual giftings be made known to all. No, those are not things we're called to broadcast. Yes, we're called to use them, but not to broadcast them. However, scripture does invite us to broadcast this, our gentleness. You see, Paul saw gentleness as inherently missional. He saw it as a way to invite people to taste the goodness of the kingdom. Because gentleness is not just being nice. It's being Christ in a world that's starving for love. It's extending a shocking graciousness. It's living an untamed humility. And it has the power to bring redemptive change. 
So I want to bring us back to the first image here. We started out with this image, two oxen joined by a yoke. And I wonder if you can see a little more of the gentleness in this image. This image of two oxen as a picture of gentleness. So a week ago, I was in New Hampshire visiting family, and my sister and I, uh, we went to a farm, the Vernon Family Farm in Newfields, New Hampshire, and we were just like stopping in at the little farm store. And just as we were walking up to the farm store, the farmer, uh, Jeremiah Vernon, walks by with these two steer, which are young oxen that are in training, and they were in a yoke, and they were hauling firewood. And he comes right up to us. And we're just standing there, like kind of like we've seen this in pictures, right? We've seen this in films. We've never really had this like walk right up to us, two oxen in a yoke, or in this case, two steers in a yoke. And uh, we're standing there, and uh, he was so close. Uh, he was just talking about the, you know, how, how things were at the farm, and, and he was introducing us to the, the yoke. And I, I just couldn't even, like, speak because it was a really breathtaking experience. And they were so close to us that if I had put my hand out and just taken about a half a step, I could have touched the forehead of the closest steer. I didn't have a word to describe the feeling uh, of being in their presence, in the presence of these two animals of incredible brute strength and yet whose force was perfectly restrained. And as I stood there, a verse came to my mind, a verse about Jesus, a verse that's also about gentleness, and a verse that's also about a yoke. And I want to close with this verse from the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Would you pray with me? Good and gentle God, thank you for coming to us not in force, but in gentleness and love, for that is who you are. We have not always been gentle with others or with ourselves. Help us to be more like you. Help us to be the gentleness of Christ in this harsh world. Lord, give us the courage to refuse to litigate, to dispute, to contest, to insist on our own way, but instead to trust, to show great grace, to be restrained by love for the sake of love. Bless our small, often failing attempts toward gentleness. Bless those attempts that your spirit might flow through us to bring redemptive change, to give the people around us a taste of the kingdom of God, and bring us back day by day by day, hour by hour by hour, into the gentle refuge of who you are. Amen. You're listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, 
please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com.